So you know how I'm hip, down with the kids. The older you get, it's more of an effort, isn't it? Blinking up. But I'm always amazed by modern culture and just the way things develop and change over the years. And I have a particular fascination, for those of you who come on a Sunday evening, you'll, you'll know this, because I love language. And I was privileged, of course, uh, in Bible college to study particularly Greek and uh, look at the way that uh, the New Testament was written and how the Old Testament was translated into what's known as the Septuagint and things. And it's just fascinating, the use of language. And words and language evolve over the years, don't they? Things used to mean something which they no longer mean, and they take on new meanings as time changes. And so it's fascinating to see how all of that uh, comes about. So here's a word, savage. Now this is an interesting word at the moment. I don't know whether, and some of the younger ones are going, yes... Because this is a word that we're hearing quite a lot. I've heard this word banded around on television programs and on uh, radio programs quite a bit of late. And uh, I know some of you are sitting there now thinking, you know, I haven't added this highly intellectual word to my vocabulary. It's not one that I tend to come out with every day. And uh, maybe you've been using it for a long time, but perhaps not in the way that I'm about to suggest to you that people today are using it. So I decided to do a little bit of research on this idea of being savage and find out exactly what it means. So I went online, as you do, and uh, it's a fascinating, there's various definitions for this, but it is certainly being, uh, have you heard this word used? Is it just me? Have you heard? Three of you, praise God. Okay. So this word is being used quite a lot now in modern parlance, as it were. And if you look at things like the Urban Dictionary, Uh, You'll see, I mean, that looks at how words have evolved and how meanings have changed. So, you know, words, to be gay. When I was young, to be gay was to be frivolous and lighthearted and something was happy and jolly. Today, it means something different. The best example, I think, is the word sick. Yeah, you may well nod, my daughter. Because she will say to me, that's sick. When she first started saying that, I was like, I thought it was quite nice, really. (laughs) But it means good. Something is really good. And uh, it used to mean vomit. And I have to remind her of that. But that's what it did mean, wasn't it? And so to be savage in today's uh, meaning, as it were, today's usage, is really that you don't really care so much about what anybody else thinks about something that you've done or something like that. You don't really care about the consequences of your your actions. And uh, usually when you see somebody do something and you think to yourself, what the, Are are you nuts? So you'd say, that's savage, that is. That's really savage. You're doing something that perhaps nobody else has got the guts uh, to do. So to live your life in a savage way, to be savage, is to live your life in a way that few other people have the guts to live. Now be careful if when you go home you start looking for the meaning of this online. Because as I said, there are some other definitions and some Enid don't do it. All right? (laughs) All right? Because there are some... You know, I know you're all over social media, but on Twitter, it's, it's a bit bad. There are loads of people in the public arena today 
uh, who we would say. They don't give a stuff about what you or I think uh, they say or, or do or, or whatever. They live a savage life. Now, one of the guys I naturally think of who lives quite a savage life is Bear Grylls. He doesn't care less. He drinks his own urine. And he's been known to drink other people's urine. I have to say to you, he's a Christian. Just to get that out there. And uh, he's, he's an amazing chap. And, uh, well, I know a lot of uh, guys. I know Gareth Walters. You look up to him a lot, don't you? You secretly want to be Bear Grylls. I know. Uh, so do I. But there we go. He is totally savage. One of the reasons he's so good at what he does is basically the guy's an adrenaline junkie. He, he loves doing things that push himself. He doesn't care what other people think. He just gets on and, and does it. He's always looking for that adrenaline rush, whether it's kayaking through dangerous rapids, jumping off cliffs, climbing a dangerous boulder with no rope by himself in the dark, drinking his own wee or somebody else's. It's been amazing. If you follow anything about Bear Grylls, you'll know, for instance, that presidents, there's President Obama, he wanted to spend time with Bear Grylls. Because what we find is, in the world in which we live, lots of people think that's the ultimate thing. You're going to get such an adrenaline rush from being with somebody like Bear. And if you can experience things like that, so pop stars as well will do it. There's Mel B. He drank her wee. I just need to say that. So this, this guy is absolutely incredible. He is savage. And in fact, one of the reasons he does all of this, as I said, is because he's an adrenaline junkie. And people want to be with him to do dangerous and thrilling things because life at times is boring. Life at times is just run-of-the-mill, you know, getting on with it. And if you don't believe me, stand where I'm standing right now and look out at you lot. <laughs> You know, and so many of us, many of us are looking for something that's going to give us a bit of a rush, that's going to give us some joy, that's going to fuel us, that's going to push us on. And so some of us find that in, in hill walking, in sports, some of us find it in, in doing all sorts of other things. We might not be as crazy as Bear Grylls. And for your safety, I hope none of you will be. But I think many people today in this 21st century live their lives in a similar fashion, looking for something that will be different, looking for something that will give them a bit of a rush, that will help them have a fulfilled, savage life. And just to clarify, living for the next adrenaline rush doesn't only apply to party animals or celebrities. Living for the next adrenaline rush doesn't have to look like a scene out of The Hangover. If you've never seen that film, well, maybe I shouldn't be recommending it as your pastor, but I'll tell you. <laughs> Living your life for the next rush can often be taken as seeing how far you can go with things. So I remember when I was young, that included being a bit of a naughty boy in relationships. Because I wanted to see how far I could go with a girl. And as you get older, you think about the workplace. And you think about the flirtatious behavior that sometimes goes on in the workplace. And you think about those times when you thought, I wonder how far I could go. People are looking for something that's a bit 
daring, a bit risky, where maybe they can just dip their toe in and ooh, it can feel quite a rush. It can be totally inappropriate. Living life for the next adrenaline rush can like not being content until you spot your next bestie. You know how some of us, you know, we are always looking for the next best friend who's going to lead us uh, into something new and adventurous that perhaps we've not tried before. Living life for the next adrenaline rush can look like you're equating your career success. You don't care who you're treading over. You just want a career that's really going places. You're quite good at what you do. And it doesn't matter who you're going to step over because, hey, this gives me a rush. This gives me fulfillment. And so you will push in your career, regardless of other people. Living life for the next adrenaline rush can be committing a significant portion of your thoughts to wondering if you'll be able to connect with the most popular person at school, at college, at university, or scrolling through your Instagram account and promoting instant jealousy and stuff for those of you who are already popular. Living life for the next adrenaline rush is actually the life a lot of people, if not most people, in the world today live like. And in modern parlance, we might say it's quite a savage thing. There's a verse in the Bible that seriously challenges that. It challenges the reward that we think is associated with this adrenaline rush, this kind of lifestyle. And it's in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. And it says, there is a way that seems right to a person. <laughs> but eventually, it ends in death. You see, what I'm proposing to you is what many of us assume to be the savage life. What many of us take for granted as, oh, this is quite normal. Isn't actually that good for us. Is it normal to live life looking for the next adrenaline rush? It's become normal to try and push, to try and do well, to try and make sure that I'm the best version of me that I can be. And don't misunderstand me, there are certain biblical principles that do suggest that God has created us, certainly unique and individual, and we should aspire to be all that he wants us to be. But I wonder sometimes if it's dog eat dog, and we'll go for it at all costs, no matter what happens to anybody else. Normal doesn't necessarily lead to fulfilling or meaningful life. According to the Bible, a normal life can actually lead to disappointment, emptiness, and regret. And personally, I think I do want to live a savage life. I do want to live a life that is different, that pushes, but not at any cost. As a kid in secondary school, I did the Duke of Edinburgh's award, and I've shared different stories with you over the years about my time doing that. It was brilliant. I loved it. Everything outdoorsy. Uh, believe it or not, I used to, you know, I know I don't look it now, but I did. I loved outdoor pursuits. We used to go to the Abercrave Outdoor Centre. It's brilliant. Anybody ever been there? Oh, yes? Come on, Julia. Right. So this is it. The Abercrave Outdoor Pursuit Centre. Absolutely brilliant. 
We used to do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. I used to love it. I used to go on skiing trips with the school. We used to go caving. We used to go gorge walking, jumping off these high gorges into these ponds. And they were telling us, there's plenty of water, there's plenty of water. And you're like, I'm not sure where that is. But the adrenaline rush, it was great for me as a kid who loved the outdoors and wanted to, to go along and be with my mates and everything. And then on Sunday, I'd go to church. There's an adrenaline-fueled experience for you, if ever there was one. <laughs> and so life for me, real life and real fulfillment, came not from a Sunday service, but actually being out with my mates. Getting up to no good sometimes, yeah, but generally just having a laugh and having a good time. At that point in my life, I thought I was living if you like, the savage life. As my life was wrapped up in my mates and my activities, the odd girlfriend, believe me, some of them were odd, <laughs> in sport, you know, playing rugby, doing well in rugby, just hanging out with my mates and all of that. And all of that provided the daily adrenaline rush that I needed to have fun and a sense of significance and security in my life, a sense of fulfillment. That's, that's what it was all about. So I thought. Truth is, as soon as I began to see the cracks in those things, I had to have a serious word with myself. I remember my girlfriend broke up with me the same week as the rugby team cut me. And some of those best friends turned out not to be besties after all. And I began to realize that these daily and quite temporary adrenaline rushes were actually going to let me down at some point. Just like a sugar energy drink. Have you ever had Red Bull, some of you older ones? Wow, there's an experience. You'll be buzzing like a wind-up toy. They're amazing. But then it wears off. So I began to look for something else to find fun and significance and fulfillment in. Something beyond the daily temporary adrenaline rushes that the majority of people around me were so keen to be into. And deep down, I came to understand that actually God was wanting to do something much, much deeper in my life of far more significance. And it was only through deepening my relationship with him that I ultimately found the kind of joy and significance and fulfillment that I was so thirsty for. And I shared bits of, you, uh, bits of that with you previously, and I'm happy to share that with anybody who wants to know more. But my prayer for each one of us here this morning is that we would come to that point of recognizing that we can live a different way. We can live by a different power. We don't have to seek after the next thrill but actually, God himself will help us live a savage life. A life that stands out. A life that doesn't settle for the norm. The Apostle Paul wrote down a prayer thousands of years ago that, unbeknownst to him, was urging people actually to live a truly savage life. He wrote it in the book of Ephesians and chapter 1. And Kina's going to come and read this little section for us now. Thanks, Keena.
following reading is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And if it's views in the Pew Bibles, it's page 1173. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he was, has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us to believe that power is the same as the mighty strength. Thank you very much, Kina. Now, if you've got a Bible, why don't you open it up to this passage? Because I just want to blow this apart for you a little bit this morning. So there's a pew Bible at the end of every pew, or maybe you've got an app on your phone or whatever. But this is a fascinating little section of Scripture that challenges us seriously in our modern world on how to live for Jesus and what it means to live a significant, joy-filled life in relationship with him. I think many of us have had our hearts blinded by the pursuit of the next adrenaline rush. We're caught up in a world today that tells us we're all basically bored and that, you know, there's nothing much going on in life. And so we actively think that we need to go after things. We need to seek after the next thrill. But God, I think, wants to open the eyes of our heart here and realize three things. What we'll see here is this. We'll see the hope that he gives. We'll see the extraordinary value that he places on us. And boy, do some of us need to hear that this morning. Because some of us here, we're beating ourselves up thinking that we are nothing. Well, this passage shows us God places an extraordinary value on you. And the third thing is that we'll see the power of God working through us. So first of all, let's look at this hope he gives us. Look at this verse again. In that little section there in verse 18, he talks about that we may know the hope to which he has called you. Am I going to be controversial? I don't know. When I think of the typical Christian, I don't think of hope as a typical characteristic. We're a bu bunch of moaners and groaners by and large. We're very good at whinging. Now, if you're Welsh, you're especially good at this. Because we do melancholy on top of it, don't we? Yes? You know I'm right. We like a good whinge, and we are the world champions. There are plenty of people who've grown up in Christian families, spent time in churches, but in truth are very far from being hopeful people. Instead, a Christian can be perceived in this world in which we live as somebody walking around with their head down complaining about how messed up the world is and people are just doing the wrong things and oh, it's so sick and it's so sad. Oh, the world is a terrible place. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Oh, doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Psalm 25, the psalmist says, my hope is in you all day long. Followers of Jesus have so much to be hopeful about. So many reasons for hope. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is countercultural. We live in a world that is so depressed. Where people outside of the church, not just in the church, are filled with gloom and misery. And yet the follower of Jesus, the person who's in a relationship with Christ, should be filled with hope. 
We've got hope because no matter how bad we get or how bad life gets, we've got a perfect record with God because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Whoa! I don't know about you, but that is really good to hear. Because I, oh, if you knew the truth about me. Oh. But I've got hope. Because I've got a clean record with him. Because of what Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago. I've mucked up. I have mucked up. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross to settle the debt that I owe to God. Because God is a holy God who by right should say to me, get lost. And yet God welcomes me because of my relationship with Jesus in which all my sin has been washed away. Hallelujah! And whatever you're sitting here with this morning and whatever's going through your mind as the enemy sits on your shoulder and is whispering into your ear now, oh, if only he knew the truth about you. Well, he knows the truth. He knows the truth about you. And Jesus Christ died for you. To give you hope that you can have a fresh start with God. Wow. We've got such reason for hope. We've got such reason for hope in that one day we will actually see Jesus. And we'll be able to experience life the way we were designed to experience it. Without mucking up. Without falling up. Without tripping over. We've got hope. We've got hope because our hope, it's not just for eternity, it's for each and every day. Why do some Christians live their lives about, in a way that seems to say that, well, eternity will be awesome, but for now, life sucks. <laughs> Flip me. I'm hoping I've got a few more years left on this planet. If that's what it is, what a miserable existence we've got ahead of us. I want to enjoy life now. And the Bible tells me that eternity will be awesome. Yeah, but I've got hope in this life now because of Jesus. Because he's changed my life. Absolutely changed it. It's savage to have that kind of hope. Not normal. It's not normal. Oh, when we exchange our normal life for a truly savage life, that savage life is characterized by hope. This is not it. There is more. There is more to experience of life in all its fullness. Jesus said, I've come to give life, life in abundance. Give me more. Give me more. That's what we're after. But it's not just characterized by hope. It's also characterized by value. We see how much value God has placed on us in these little verses before us this morning. It's amazing. We live in a world that devalues people so much. Many of us sat here this morning are absolutely convinced that our life is worth nothing. That we don't matter that we are insignificant. We've mucked up with God. The truth is known to him. And flip me, I've blown it. And we devalue each other. Look at the problem with the refugee situation. 
Look at modern slavery. The way that humanity treats humanity is anti-biblical and scandalous. The worth of each precious individual, fearfully and wonderfully made. If only we knew what God thinks. The riches of God's glorious inheritance in his holy person. And please don't misunderstand uh, this word holy. You know, holy isn't somebody who's perfect. It's somebody who's trusted God to forgive him or her and is viewed by God as perfect even though he or she isn't. It's somebody who's literally hidden in Jesus. God calls these forgiven yet imperfect people holy. You're a holy Joe. Yes, I am. I'm holy. And it's all because of the riches of his glorious inheritance. You'd think that God is talking about somebody or something else being the riches of his glorious inheritance. But listen to me. He's talking about you talking about me you are so precious to him so valuable to him this insane value should give you a glimpse of God's love for you like perhaps you've never had before oh I know people say things people at work may be whispering in your ear and pulling you down and your family may ridicule you for your faith or whatever but listen God loves you you are of incredible value to him. And we often look for this extraordinary value in all the wrong places. We look for our spouse or our boyfriend or our girlfriend to give us this value. We look to receive this value from our mentors and from those we look up to. Even as some of us here this morning, we've looked for it in our parents. And it hurts when those people devalue us. I remember sharing with somebody some time ago about how deeply it hurt to hear her colleagues say something that made her feel so devalued at work. And another who felt um, extremely devalued in the hurtful words of an ex-husband. Contrary to the imperfect value that the people around us place on us, the value Jesus places on us is extraordinary. He thought so much of you, it's why he went to a cross. It's why he died for you. And why God raised him three days later. You are of incredible value to God. You can have incredible hope in this world. Finally, let me share this with you this morning. You can exchange your normal life to live a truly savage life, not just by receiving hope and knowing that you are of extreme value to God, but you can receive power, the power of God to live this life for him. Look how it ends. His incomparably great power to us who believe. What does the power of God look like? The power of God is the ability for this kind of God-given hope and value to exist in the DNA of our own hearts when all around us the world tells us you're worth nothing. There's no hope for this world. The power of God is the ability of God to overpower that. The power of God is the ability of God to overpower your and my excuses, to overpower your and my doubts, and overpower your and my apathy, 
So much so that hope and value and power become so real in our lives that we don't settle for normality anymore, but we go for it. And we live our lives savagely for the glory of God in this world. You want to live counterculturally? You want to live differently? Here it is. This is a gem of a prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us, for us. Who believe? You want that? Can I have it this morning? I don't know where you stand with your relationship to God. Some of you are checking out this Christianity stuff. Some of you tentatively dipping your toes into it. Some of you disillusioned in your faith. You're tripped up. You feel of little, if any, value at all. You wonder whether God sees you as significant. Maybe you're struggling. Well, I want to offer you the greatest thing I can offer you this morning. I can offer you hope. I can tell you categorically on the authority of God's word, you are of incredible value to God. And he's waiting to pour his power into your life. To change things. So that you don't have to settle for normality or banality. Things can be different.